On today's episode, I'm answering more of your Run Smarter questions. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Hello, Run Smarter Scholars. Thanks for joining me today on another episode. Your questions have been flooding in, and so I've got a list of them here ready to ready to answer, um, as similar to last episode uh, where I answered just the patrons. Um, today, I've opened up the floor and started answering ones just coming in from the Facebook group and from Instagram and tried my best to find um, the ones that are most relevant and those who didn't get answered on the episode, I've tried my best to reply to you or um, tell you that it's become like a solo episode. I have one down here. Um, Let me scroll down. Laura Smith. Uh, Laura asks, I over pronate in my shoe and my shoes always wear in the same spot to the point where the bottom is uneven. Many times shoes I will be worn um, are worn down before I even hit a hundred miles. So quite soon. I have tip post and Achilles issues and do see a PT regularly to get my hips aligned. I try to make it to 200 miles in my shoes um, so I don't spend a zillion dollars <laughs> um, on shoes. And so I will do an episode. I was actually planning on doing an episode around footwear and mileage and when to replace them and why just relying on mileage maybe just isn't the best indicator. So I have a future solo episode lined up in my um, future upcoming episode ideas. So thanks for that, Laura. I'll do my best to answer that one and or at least answer in like a generic sort of way um, through that episode. So we have also um, I am investing most of my downtime in the Run Smarter book. Um, still don't know what the title will be called. I'll work on that. But it's the more ideas that I have, this is like trying to put all of my ideas and all of my concepts and all of my information into one book is a gigantic task. And the, as I start to have more ideas, the task becomes more greater. But I think I'll be really, really happy with the end result. And it will take a bit of time, pretty much most of my downtime that I have now, which isn't a lot, but is spent writing. And while academic writing or, you know, proper English is definitely not my strong suit, but I did, at the time of recording, just like the last hour or two, 
posted a passage onto the Facebook group, onto the, the podcast Facebook group to see if you guys, if it made sense, like if the, the analogies kind of work, if the, the structure is okay. And I got a bit of advice saying, yes, love it, but like the English, the way you phrase the sentences and some sentences are too long. Um, I will definitely get an editor, but definitely isn't my strong suit. So we'll see how I go. It will be a learning process. And yeah, I'll, I'm really excited eventually when the book comes out. Uh, yeah, it'll be, I'll, I'll be extremely proud of it. Let's just put it that way because I'm talking about my lessons. I'm talking about my experiences. I'm also talking about articles, like some of my favorite publications that have um, been produced and like highlighting those in the book in certain sections as well. So everything's going to be in there. It's going to be awesome. Okay, let's move on to some questions. We have Campbell Maffet, which was a really nice question. With the benefits of hindsight, what would you do to reduce your risk of injuries that you've already had? And do you have a coach guiding your running training? Uh, for the second part, I don't have a running coach. I try my best to be my own coach. Um, I think adopting run smarter lessons and trying to adopt the knowledge that I've gained, you know, as a physio and interviewing a lot of people in this podcast, I just try and implement what I learn. And if I implement what I learn, then I'm kind of just acting as a coach, but um, as my own self coach, but I'm also not training for anything at the moment. So um, maybe if I was really want to be really diligent with a triathlon or an Ironman or something, I'd probably consider getting a coach. Um, for the first part of your question, the benefits of hindsight, what would I do to reduce injuries that I've had in the past? I reckon that's a great question. And I tried to think of it. And I guess my answer is like what I'm currently doing, because I feel like I'm doing a lot of things now that work really well. So what I would have done differently is probably what I'm doing now, if that made sense, because I've um, tried my best in the last couple of years to train and run as smart as I can. And yeah, so number one, I've got a couple of things here. Number one is tracking my running. I've done an episode in the past about how I've done this new spreadsheet, calculating my mileage, calculating my intensity units, calculating a lot of things, which um, really works well with next episode's guest. I have Eric Hegarty on. Um, we're talking about training smarter. We're talking about returning to running after injury. And he talks about TRIMP, which is your training impulse, which is the same concept that I've had in the past around multiplying your intensity out of 10 by the minutes of exercise that you have. And I've been calculating those every week just to make sure I'm having no spikes. So no spikes in overall mileage, but also no spikes in intensity as well. And that has been a game changer for me. I can just not only plan um, or not only calculate the total week to see that I've fallen in a good range, but also can um, predict or at least anticipate a future run just to make sure that I'm not overdoing my intensity and not overdoing certain things. So it's good for reflection, but also good for planning in the future. Um, and the strength training, which is a part of my plan, a part of my spreadsheet that I'm including in there. That's been a, a big game changer. I haven't, I have been doing strength training, but I've never done it to the point where it's methodical and progressive. 
which is what I've been doing over the last couple of months. It took a bit of a back step when I moved house and um, moved into this new gym, new location. My rehab studio is not ready yet. That's probably ready in the next month or two. But when that gets um, fully fleshed out, I'll be progressing um, Yeah, onwards and upwards from there. I'm going to absolutely love it. But been very diligent in the last couple of months progressive strength training. So hip hikes are in there, calf calf raises, usually bent bent leg calf raises or bent knee calf raises, deadlifts, squats and lunges are my consistent five. Some ones that I add in there that every now and then will be kettlebell swings, will be wall balls, will be single leg deadlifts. Um, what else might be in there? They're, they're sometimes in the... Uh, the occasional rotation. And I think I've mentioned this in the past when it comes to progressing my exercises. Not sure if I said this purely in the patron episode or not, but when it comes to my deadlifts and calf raises, I'll say it'll be 50 kilos and I'll do four sets of eight next week, four sets of 10 next week, four sets of 12. And then I increase the, the weights say to 55 kilos and I drop back to four sets of eight then next week, four sets of 10, then four sets of 12, increase the weight, drop back down again. And that's continuously progressing me. And I found it really, really beneficial. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Um, so that's the second one. The third one, I've been monitoring my sleep. I use an aura ring and I just track my sleep, not diligently, but every morning I'll wake up, see my sleep score, see my readiness score, and then move on with the day. I try not, I don't hone in too much on like my heart rate and when my heart rate dropped or what my heart rate dropped to or what my heart rate variability is. I just look at that overall score and then move on. Um, at least it might not be extremely accurate, but at least it's a bit of data that I can move forward with. Um, that's the third one. So I have um, just tra- overall tracking my mileage. Two, progressive strength training. Three, tracking my sleep. The other one's just making sure my intensity distribution is nice. Um, I'll use like most of the time, like prior to me just running smarter, I think I was just running a lot of low mileage and I was a bit nervous to go into higher intensities. Whereas now I have a really nice balance and doing some strides once a week, doing some intervals once a week. And then just the rest is like quite low ish mileage. Um, a low intensity, I guess you could say. So just having that nice distribution is number four. Number five, um, modify straight away, modify my training, modify the next one day or the next day if there's some sort of symptoms that have changed, like if my foot's sore or if I get soreness at the back of my knee or if my hips are a little bit sore, um, recognizing that before it develops into an injury and then maybe doing cross training on one day, maybe changing my shoes one day, maybe um, mixing the intensity. So move my my high intensity day to another day and making sure those symptoms remain at bay. 
because if you catch it early enough, then you only just need to do this really minute change in order for the body to feel good again. And so that's just my understanding of my body, kind of listening to the body and taking that on board. Speaking of like last week, my going for my long run, I had all these really random pains. I had the back of my knee started again. Um, my foot had this really different kind of niggle and also my hip flexor was a bit sore and that was more towards the end of the run. And I thought like, why is that? My training hasn't changed. I've been very, very sensible, had didn't really push myself or challenge myself in any particular way. Why are these random pains sort of coming up? And the only thing I can put my finger on is that week was my birthday and we also came out of lockdown and we had, I had an, a mass amount of sugar, cakes, chocolates for my birthday, um, you know, just rewards, those sort of things, a um, couple of drinks. And I think I probably had a fivefold in my intake of sugar that I usually have. And so maybe that's something to do with it. Uh, I'm very, talking about sugar and eliminating sugar, like I know there's not a lot of heavy science to, to back it up. It's very hard to conduct a, a study around that. But anecdotally, that just makes a whole ton of sense. Anecdotally, I've heard from other listeners that they've reduced their amount of sugar intake and have had good responses, good recovery, um, good in terms of reducing their severities of pain. So there's probably something there. Um, and I have gone in, I guess, to answer another part of that question, Campbell, is I do go through um, challenges. I'd go through like three months ago, I went through an entire month of really low sugar intake. Sometimes I go through a couple of weeks of really low sugar intake and just do my best to eat healthy. Um, so that's another thing that I think is really important. And so that's they're the ones that I've come up with that are the most beneficial. So tracking my sleep, tracking my training, making sure they're good dosages, making sure the intensity distribution is really nice. And also a little bit on the, the healthier eating, reduced sugar side of things as well. Thanks for that question, Campbell. Uh, next, we have Jen Booth who asks about hip bursitis, um, wants to know my opinion about hip bursitis in runners. And we have Steve Babish, I want to say is your last name. Um, so Jen and Steve, I guess both ask, um, about the hip bursitis. And so, um, I guess my answer is very similar to something that would be lateral hip pain. Um, I know I've done episodes on this in the past. I've done episodes with Benoit Matthew, uh, where he talks about how to help lateral hip pain, which mainly refers to the tendons that are on the outside of the um, the hip very, very close to the bursa of the hip. And the treatment can be very, very similar. But I do have some tips for you. Um, yes, strengthening the glutes are very, very important to help with hip control. Um, but before that, even if it's very irritable, you are trying to avoid things that are causing the irritation. And say, if you get into your strength routine, maybe modifying them in a way of, squats you want to do squats with a bit more with wider feet or wider knees to help reduce that compression crab walks you can do to still strengthen the glutes but you're keeping everything nice and wide keeping the feet wide and taking small steps 
one of my favorite exercises are crab walks. Uh, you can do side-lying hip abduction. So you're just inside lying, that top leg is moving up. And then when it starts moving down, we don't drop below parallel with the, the floor. Um, we just keep it that upper kind of ranges, those sort of things. So you're still strengthening the glutes, you're still strengthening the hips, but you're avoiding um, a lot of compression in that area. But then irritation and compression that's gone on outside of your running, outside of your exercises can be modified if they're also producing symptoms. So people have pretty bad habits of crossing their legs when they sit. I'm guilty of that. But if someone has hip bursitis and then they cross their hips and it's producing pain, best that we modify that. Just conscious awareness just to um, maybe sit with higher chairs because we know that low sitting contributes to compression. Um, so just making some sitting adjustments when you're sleeping. Sometimes if sleeping on that side is quite annoying, then you can um, try sleeping on the other side and maybe putting a, a thick pillow between your knees and your ankles. That can help, first of all, relieve the um, relieve the compression, but also the pillow there kind of prevents you from tossing and turning too much when you are sleeping to stay off that affected side. So making those kind of adjustments can be nice. Um, discussing about the running, you can retrain, you could do some gait retraining if you are one to have, say, a low cadence or a narrow step width, very similar to ITB friction syndrome with these gait retraining, gait modifications. Um, so if you do have a low cadence or if you do have a very narrow step width or a crossover step width, I've just finished doing an episode, a solo episode on step width, um, you can make those adjustments and that could be very good upon your return to running if you're not running already um, build up your strength once you can tolerate low amounts of running make those adjustments and that will be you'll be able to tolerate greater volumes of running with less pain our third question that comes in today is from tony kung and asks would it oh tony would like to know <laughs> uh my view on pose and chi running and anything related to running form and or cadence related topics does perfect running form exist? Thanks, Tony. Um, I actually released a post on this topic um, a few days ago from the Run Smarter um, snippets. And it was around pose running and found that there wasn't much of an improvement in the 5K performance. But before I get into that, um, so pose running or chi running, very similar concepts. Um, allows you to have a better awareness of your running technique, mainly around increasing your cadence, um, trying to make things as effortless as possible. And I think it might be very important if you, if there is a runner who has a very low cadence, who overstrides those sort of things and has a lot of obvious inefficiencies within their running technique. It can be very helpful to have something like pose running or chi running to cue them to run more efficiently. Um, however, like I said, there has been research done to the show around like a, 50, a 5K time trial where they had people pose run um, or they had people running, then teach them the pose running and there wasn't an improvement in their time 
But those individuals may not have had a low cadence or may not have had an overstride pattern or may not have any of those really obvious inefficiencies in their running technique and so might not have as much of an impact when it comes to that. So it might be good for some runners. I think when it comes to just the running population in general, they're they're not their running technique isn't in these obvious like flaws where um they do have an overstride or really low cadence. I don't think that's very common. So it might if you're one of those uncommon runners, it could really be of benefit. However, like you don't necessarily need to do the pose running, chi running method. You could just increase your cadence and reduce your overstride to improve on that those <clears throat> running economy kind of components. So all of that stuff. I do know, I think that chi running and pose running like work from the top down. So like your head position, your chest position, your arm swings, all of those. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not too fast on those particular one percenters because there are a lot of other things that you can work on that can have a bit more bang for your buck. Um, you could find, you could try maybe a different arm swing or a different posture and see if it feels nice for you. But I'm not too, that's my personal opinion. I'm not too fussed on it. I have had a few episodes on cadence before. If you want to know more about that, about what a perfect cadence is, um, because if we're answering Tony's second question around, does perfect running form exist? Um, it's very similar to the, the topic of cadence. There may be a perfect cadence for you, but there is no perfect cadence for everyone. People think that 180 is the perfect cadence. Evidence shows that that's not true. Evidence shows that different bodies, different anatomy, different leg lengths, um, different flexibilities and mobilities mean that your cadence, your ideal cadence, your perfect cadence will be different to someone else. And I think the same might be said for running form where you might be able to hone in on a perfect running form for you, but the corrections that you make and the adjustments you make will suit you, but may not suit someone else. And I think when I interviewed Dr. Izzy Moore last year, she had a very nice take. She's been doing research on this, um, particularly around mechanics, running economy and running cadence and finding the perfect scenario. And she has the same take. Like we can't look at what the elites are doing. We can't look at what the professionals are doing and try and mimic that running action to try and help our performance because we, everyone has very different performances. Everyone has different makeups of their body. Everyone has different flexibilities. And so if someone who had different mechanics tried to mimic that, it might end up being really inefficient for them because you're not suited to your own individual biomechanics. So thanks, Tony. Hope that answered your question. Lastly, we have Pat O'Connor who says, why do I cramp in the calves every time I do a 50K run at the, well, it might be a race, at the 26 to 28 mile mark? So running in a 50K race, get to K 26 to 28 and starts getting calf cramps. Pat says, never fails. Same thing. It's done it six times. And very hard for me to answer. I will, I do have a few tips, I guess. 
Um, I was actually just on a injury chat with a fellow a few days ago with this not exact issue, but complaining of cramping and really inhibiting his running. And I kind of have the same advice. Um, when it comes to cramping, we cramp for different reasons. I do have an episode on cramping, but we'll do a crash course in it. Um, and it's open uh, It's open to a debate. There's a few research papers that show a few different things. So one, the theory of cramping. One reason for cramping is sweat loss and uh, changes in concentration of the fluids that you have in your body. So if you sweat quite a lot, you lose salt, you lose electrolytes, you lose um, sodium, you, you, you lose uh, water, all those components that make up sweat. And if you try to rehydrate yourself with just water, you're not replacing the, the same elements that are being lost. You're just replacing with water and kind of diluting your um, the, the balance, the makeup of the fluids in the body. And sometimes that can shift too much. Like if you lose a lot of sweat, say playing sport, if it's hot or humid or doing an ultra race, and if you cannot replace the same concentration, it's believed that the muscles then can't work that efficiently and start cramping up. Very well seen in good research in industrial workers <clears throat> working for um, under hot conditions. A lot of cramping reported. Give them salt tablets to take in the day and their cramping, the incidence of cramping significantly reduces. So their cause of cramping is most likely to be that theory number one. Then we have theory number two, which is just repetition of the muscle working beyond what it's kind of used to, or just that constant repetition can cause the nerves and the muscles just to freak out and start spasming. We know this as documented, say, with um, typewriters. They get writer's cramp or typewriting, hand cramp, whatever they call that. Um, again, no sweat loss, but you can still get cramps in your hand because you are constantly typing and overloading the little muscles in the hands, similar to overloading the little muscles of the feet. When you're walking bare feet, if, you're, if you've ever been swimming and you're pushing off, you're walking around and you're swimming and you're constantly using these like little muscles in the feet, and then you get a foot cramp. Wouldn't be anything to do with fluid loss because you haven't sweated, but again, another foot cramp. And this second theory is just that overload of repetition, or it could be a combination of the two. We know that runners, endurance runners, they're doing, they're, they have high sweat losses and they have continuous muscle repetition. So it might be something between the two, or it could be something else that I haven't come across, something that the research has or has not shown that I haven't found. Um, that's the main reasons that we know and what maybe we don't know. And so, so Pat, maybe to answer your question, um, with these explanations, we've got a few things that you probably could try if you haven't already. Um, so monitor your fluids and make sure that you are trying to replace the, the sweat lost with the same concentration. Um, I'm guessing if you've done this six times before, you've maybe tried different fluid intakes, different concentrations, but maybe something else to hone into in regards to the intake. Uh, if it is more of the repetition side of things, it's just proper training. Um, 
not too sure. This is why these questions come in. I'm not too sure, Pat, what your training is like or what your fluid intake is like. But if it is something that's constantly at the same mile mark, maybe it's just at a point where the calves repetition wise, just um, get overloaded, get overdone. And so potentially a better training, working in more mileage, more time on feet, more um, suited to race conditions, trying to mimic race conditions as much as possible can help the calves adapt and start to recognize that same loading and then not have that little freak out during that race. Because we know that, well, if you're trying to mimic race conditions, make sure it's the right intensity, make sure it's the same time of day, make sure it's the same temperature and try to train within those conditions because I could see that people, uh, I can kind of anticipate a, a scenario where someone is doing the same mileage and preparing for a race. And then as soon as it's race day, they race or run too fast than what was originally planned more work through the calves and then they freak out at a certain point in the race. So make sure all those training variables are mimicked exactly towards race day. Keep that in mind as well. Um, pickle juice can be a solution. Maybe you've tried it before, maybe not, but um, there are some pickle juice products out there to apparently help with cramping. Um, I've seen a lot of people have a lot of benefit with pickle juice. You either swish it around in your mouth or spit it out, or you can try and drink it. Um, seems to reboot the nervous system and potentially the cramping could stop or subside. Maybe you can try that. Um, but they're, they're my kind of four tips, making sure you're monitoring your fluids, training appropriately, mimicking race day as much as you can. And then if worse comes to worse, maybe try that pickle juice and see how you go. Um, if you find any effective um, method, Pat, reach out and let me know because um, I'd be interested to hear what the outcome is. That's it for today, guys. We've talked about the, well, my own methods for trying to reduce my risk of injury with all my monitoring and training loads. We've gone through hip bursitis around strengthening outside of compression, trying to avoid things throughout the day that c contains that compression and some gait modifications uh, similar to the pose running and the chi running, making sure that um, it might not, or the weight that you put on it might not be ideal um, for most runners, but someone who has a very obvious running inefficiency might, um, might find a lot of benefit from it. And then just a lot of that cramping advice. Next episode, I'm very excited about. We have Eric Hegedus and we're going to chat about returning to running from injury. This is just one interview where we stopped recording and I was just really, really happy that I had him on. We vibe of each other. We sort of, I got his ideas on certain topics. He got my ideas on certain topics and we were just chatting back and forth and we both had a really good time. We're even going to set up round two. Um, he's on my list for round two and you'll know it once you see it. It is just a jam-packed episode full of like really high value and you're going to love it. So looking forward to bring you that next episode. And as we sign off, remember, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons 
who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based, long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path. 